Hi there. I'm Lindsay Smith. It's uh, 6.18 Monday morning. So I don't know about you, but the first thing I do every morning is get the coffee going. Then my one-year-old's kind of impatient for breakfast, so I usually get her something to drink. We use my tap water, what, like 30, 40, 50 times a day? It's just never something I worry about. But people in Flint aren't so lucky. They worry about their tap water all the time. This is a special documentary from Michigan Radio. I'm going to tell you about water that's not safe to drink and how it got that way. But first, some coffee. Families in Flint have been taking extreme measures to avoid drinking their tap water. They worry. It's just not safe. Hey, Gavin, what do we say about the water? Don't drink the water. The water is bad. We want kids right now. Hey, where can I put this robot tickle? They've been to enough rallies. <laughs> Four-year-old Gavin Walters has his rally cry down. Gavin and his twin brother Garrett grew up in Flint. The fight for clean, safe drinking water has become a family affair. The boys' mom and dad, Leanne and Dennis Walters, their older brother J.D. and sister Kaylee, they've been to plenty of protests in the last few months. You guys like to go hold your signs when we go out and fight for the water, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. When I saw Gavin last, Halloween was just around the corner. The Walters are one of these families that takes it pretty seriously. Leanne always makes the kids' costumes. I'm gonna be a monkey! Not a monkey, he tells me. No, Mikey. He's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle with the orange bandana. You know the one with the nunchucks. Mikey Lanzo, because Mikey fight bad guys. You ought to fight bad guys. Leanne Walters, Gavin's mom, flashes him a big smile. She leans in close for a kiss. Give me a smooch. I love you. I love you too, Mommy. Hugs in. Get this, Ross, and get it. Leanne Walters grew up in New Jersey, but she and her husband Dennis graduated from Kersley High School, just north of Flint. They were high school sweethearts. But then he joined the Navy, ended up serving in Iraq and Afghanistan. Leanne's family moved to West Michigan. They ended up meeting again years and years later, fell back in love, had the twins. It's actually quite the love story, but anyway... Up until October, the Walters lived in a yellow, two-story home on the south side of Flint. A couple of red maple trees shade the tiny front yard. Walters heads to the back of the house, in a small room off of the kitchen, where the family keeps its stockpile of bottled water. Okay, so this is our water stash. Once a week we go and we fill 40 gallons of water. So that we have water to drink with, to cook with, and to bathe um, Gavin and Garrett in. Walters won't let her kids drink any water from her faucet. She won't even let her four-year-old boys bathe in anything but bottled water. So preparing for bath time is quite the chore. Walters takes jugs of water she buys at the store, dumps them in large pots, and heats the water on the stove. Once it boils, she dumps the water in the bathtub. Then she adds three or four gallons of cool water to sort of get the bath at the right temperature. Over several months, Walter says she's gotten pretty efficient at this routine. She's got bath time prepped down to about 45 minutes. And then in between, because we only do the bathing thing once a week now, because one, it's expensive, and 
too. I don't, you know, the expense of all this on top of the water bills. Um, we do baby wipe baths in between. Walter scrubs the boys down with baby wipes almost every day. Luckily, her husband can shower at work. Her two oldest kids, teenagers, they usually shower over at Grandma's house outside of town. We're going to spend quite a bit of time at the Walters place, and there's good reason for that. See, there's a lot of people in Flint who knew something was wrong with the water. But this family's story, especially Leanne's role as a worried mother, changed everything about how the water crisis in Flint was handled. People in Flint started complaining about their tap water early in the summer of 2014, not long after the city stopped pumping its drinking water from Detroit. Instead, Flint started pumping it from the Flint River. I'll tell you more about that change a little later. But back then, Leanne Walters didn't think it was that big of a deal. They'd just bought the house. Someone had stripped all the plumbing. So we had to redo all the plumbing, and we installed that the whole house filter. So I'm like, yeah, it sucks. And I'm like, but, you know, we've got this filter, so we should be good. Every drop of water that comes into her home goes through this filter. But a few weeks after the switch, Walters noticed something was weird. She had just set up the swimming pool in the side yard for the summer. Gavin started breaking out every time he'd get in the pool. The rash was bad enough that Walters took him to the doctor. And the doctors kept telling us it was contact dermatitis. He's coming into contact with something he's allergic to. Later, Walters says her doctor suggested it was eczema. They gave her a cortisone cream to rub on Gavin's rash. But by July, it wasn't just Gavin. His twin brother, Garrett, got the rash, too. And we took him in, and they told us it was scabies, so we treated them with that pesticide. Tiny mites cause scabies. And yes, the common treatment is a chemical that's also in some pesticides, even mosquito nets and flea collars. Walters rubbed the prescription cream on her twin boys from the neck down. And I mean, I spent a ton of money because... All the laundry that we had, all the bedding that we had, um, we took it to a laundromat. Walters was relieved when the boy's rash went away, but that feeling didn't last long. Walters remembers the day the rash came back because she had a bunch of people over to celebrate her daughter's high school graduation. And all the people that were here swimming and drinking the water, all of them broke out. She scheduled another doctor's appointment for her four-year-olds. Same diagnosis. But Walters really had some doubts about the scabies diagnosis, especially after the party. The third time they tried to convince us that it was scabies, I said, "Uh uh-uh, no. The cream wasn't working on Gavin, period. He had that rash for more than a month straight. Walters wasn't standing for it anymore, so she took Gavin to a dermatologist down in Brighton. They scraped in between Gavin's little toes, put it under the microscope. And she verified by doing the skin scrapes there was no scabies, there was no live anything, no dead anything, no eggs. So no scabies, but she still didn't know what caused the rash. But then Walters noticed something. Gavin's rash flared up every time he swam the pool and every time he took a bath. Something clicked. It became clear to her right then that Gavin's rash was caused by something in the tap water. Eight months after Flint started pumping its drinking water from the Flint River, Leanne Walters stopped letting her kids drink it. Everyone from the four-year-old twins to her teenagers, J.D. and Kaylee. We quit drinking the water in December when my 14-year-old got sick, and it started coming through our filter out the kitchen sink, Brown. That was December 2014. 
Walter says the water had this orangish-brown tinge that would not go away, even when she put a fresh cartridge in the water filter. And at this point, she was putting a fresh cartridge in the water filter at least a couple times a month. Back when Flint was buying Detroit water, she only replaced it a couple times a year. So she called the city out to come take a look. They sent Mike Glasgow. He's Flint's utilities administrator. He's a Flint native, and he spent the bulk of his career working for the city. Yeah, I remember this fairly well. So a complaint had come through from her about discolored water, orange water. Glasgow says complaints like Walter's were common around this time. But there's a reason this one stood out. After the first day there, you know, I said, well, there's a few ways we go about trying to clean this up. Um, We can flush hydrants. I'll have... People from our service center get out and check the area, see if anything's out of the ordinary, and I'll be back a week later as a follow-up. And usually, you know, we can clear something up in that amount of time. A week later, Glasgow went back to Walter's house. Her tap water looked exactly the same, still had this orange tinge. And I just happened to, you know, have some lead and copper sample bottles with me. And since her water was still discolored, I started to worry more about corrosion. People like Glasgow, those who help operate water plants in older cities like Flint, they worry about corrosion. It can be a sign that a city isn't treating its water properly. Water that's treated correctly, that has the right chemical balance, it'll actually coat the inside of old pipes. That coating helps keep metals like lead, copper, and iron from showing up in people's tap water. Glasgow ran a test on Walter's water. About a week later, I got the results, and it was... uh pretty high for the lead, so I called her right away to let her know. The results were alarming enough that Glasgow called Walters right away. But he couldn't reach her that afternoon. He left her a voicemail. You have reached the voicemail box of... Walters vividly remembers that message late that night. Hi, Leanne. It's Mike from the water department. I just wanted to call it, you know, we got your test back. Please, whatever you do, don't let your kids drink the water. Don't make their juice with it. And please just give me a phone call back as soon as possible. Walters tossed and turned all night, worrying. How bad could the water be? By the time Walters did get a hold of Mike Glasgow the next day, she was kind of panicked. He was like, your number's at 104, and I'm like, okay, well, what is it supposed to be? He's like, not over 15, and I'm like, wait, what? I just want to make sure you really get these numbers they're talking about. I mean, there's no level of lead exposure that's considered safe. But any amount of lead in water above 15 parts per billion is a problem. At that level, cities are supposed to at least warn you how bad your lead levels are. The lead level in the water at the Walters place was seven times higher than that. But at that moment, hearing that number, 104 parts per billion, Walters remembers she didn't know what to make of it. Okay, and I'm like what does this mean? He's like, we don't know. He's like, we've never seen a number like this before in the city. He's like, it's the highest anyone's ever seen. Glasgow was adamant. No one drink the water. Don't use it to cook with. Don't brush your teeth with it. If you're going to take a shower, wash dishes, or even do a load of laundry, let the water run for 10, 15 minutes first. Flushing beforehand helps lower lead levels, he said. A week later, Glasgow came back to do a follow-up test. And that one came back at 397, and it was like, whoa. Okay, well, here's an even higher number. What the hell? And then it was, okay, well, now you got to start flushing your water for 25 minutes before you use it for anything. After that test, Glasgow decided to keep a close eye on the water at the Walters place. He came out almost every week. And they were seeing it consistently brown every week. They, they didn't have any answers for me. 
You can see iron in the water. It's what gave Walter's tap water that awful orange tinge. But you can't see lead in the water. It's odorless, tasteless, and much more dangerous to your health. With numbers like that, Leanne Walters did what probably any mother would do. She took her kids to the doctor to get tested for lead. When the test came back, the diagnosis wasn't good for Gavin. The doctor said he had lead poisoning. After the fact, knowing I was giving this to my kids makes me sick. Because we should be able to trust the fact that we're paying for this service, and we should be able to trust the fact that it's not going to harm our kids. You've been listening to part one of the Michigan radio documentary, Not Safe to Drink. In part two, the problems with Flint's tap water get worse. My eyes are burning in the shower, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like, what's going on? I get out the shower and I can't see for a minute because my eyes are burning. And we hear about how city and state officials continued to deny there was a problem with Flint's water, even as evidence to the contrary mounted. You're listening to Not Safe to Drink, a special documentary about Flint's water crisis on Michigan Radio. I'm Lindsay Smith. I wish you'd have come last week because I still had all our creams and lotions and potions. Like, I just cleaned out this cabinet, like, from all the different treatments and stuff. This is Leanne Walters. For months, her four-year-old twin boys had this red rash that would not go away. Her kids' doctors prescribed all kinds of creams to get rid of the rash. They thought it was allergies, eczema, even scabies. But they were wrong. Her tap water was causing her family's health problems. Tests show her water had extremely high lead levels. Her son Gavin was diagnosed with lead poisoning. It's just crazy. How does this happen in the United States? I mean, you hear about it in third world countries, but how does this happen specifically in a state that is surrounded by the Great Lakes? It's a good question. How did this happen? To understand that, we've got to go back to 2013. Flint was broke, like nearing bankruptcy broke. Flint had a string of these state-appointed financial hatchetmen during this time, trying to get the city's finances straight. They were looking for savings everywhere, and they had their eyes on the expensive water they buy from Detroit. So when Genesee County decided to build a new water system, one that's separate from Detroit, Flint was definitely interested in joining. Once it was clear Flint could save millions of dollars a year with the new system, Flint got on board. Here's a report from TV station ABC 12. Earth moving equipment is digging the trench where the pipes will be installed. But there was a catch. The new water system wasn't built yet, and it wouldn't be ready until the summer of 2016 at the earliest. And once Detroit realized Flint was going to leave its system, it jacked Flint's rates up even more. To the tune of $10 million over the two years, the new pipeline would be under construction. So in the spring of 2013, Detroit kind of had Flint over a barrel. It was state treasury officials who got creative. Their solution? Forget Detroit, Flint's emergency manager said. Let Flint get real cheap water from the Flint River. That brings us to April 25th, 2014. It was a Friday morning. A small group of city and state officials got together inside the Flint water plant. 
It was a big day, the day Flint stopped buying Detroit's water. There was a countdown, and then Flint Mayor Dane Walling pushed a tiny black button. That push of a button closed a valve in an underground pipe that brought water from Detroit. Flint was officially cut off from Detroit's water. To celebrate, the group took small, clear plastic cups, filled them with the city's new drinking water. In TV station WNEM's report from that day, you can see them come together in a small circle. They raise their plastic cups, smile, and make a toast. Here's the Flint. Here's the Flint. Here it is. But the celebrations didn't last long. City residents started complaining right away. The water was brown or reddish. It stank. Tasted weird. Darnell Early was Flint's emergency manager at the time of the switch. What we have to do is to respond to that and find a way to fix it, make it better, and move on. But things did not get better. Four months after the switch, the city detected E. coli in the water. E. coli is a nasty bacteria. It can make you very sick and even cause kidney failure in kids and the elderly. So residents were told to boil their water. These boil water advisories came out right around the time kids were heading back to school. Phyllis Brock is a lunch lady at Flint Community Schools. She says there was one little girl who would come into the cafeteria in the mornings, and she was really concerned about the water Brock was using to make her oatmeal. My mom said, so I had to go back and forth with her for about three days, it's bottled water, yes I boil it, mom said no, and so finally I've convinced her she'll eat oatmeal again. Brock's boss, the executive chef at Flint Community Schools, says there were other problems. At that point, um, some of our cooks started mentioning about how the water was smelling and, and how when they turned it on that it didn't look quite right. Chef Wally Janizic didn't take any chances. Five months after the switch, he started buying gallons of bottled water in bulk to prepare and wash all the school food with. Janizic's main concern was the E. coli. You can't make food for a school full of kids laced with bacteria that can make you violently ill. And Flint did get a handle on the E. coli problem. But killing the bacteria brought a whole new set of problems. See, Flint started dumping chlorine into the water system. Now people complain the water smelled like a swimming pool. But Flint resident Amber Hassan says the smell wasn't the scary part. I've been in the shower and had my eyes burning. My eyes are burning in the shower, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, what's going on? I get out the shower, and I can't see for a minute because my eyes are burning from whatever. Meanwhile, six miles south of Hassan's house, Leanne Walters started noticing alarming clumps of hair in her shower drain. I lost a bunch of hair. At one point, I had lost all my eyelashes. I still wear fake eyelashes because my eyelashes did not grow back what they were before, and I don't... It makes me very self-conscious, so that's why I now wear fakes. And if you're thinking, these people are delicate flowers, sensitive skin and eyes, consider this. Flint's water was so caustic, it was damaging car parts at one of General Motors' engine plants. Tom Wickham is a spokesman for GM's Flint operations. So what happened was uh, we had employees who were uh, checking the parts... And they noticed, you know, there's something wrong here. There was some corrosion, some rust forming, and they decided to raise the red flag. GM tried to treat the water to get rid of the extra chlorine that Wickham says was rusting the engine parts. It didn't work well, so they brought in semi-trucks full of water instead. It wasn't cheap. I, I, I don't have that number, and that's not something we would disclose. But, you know, when you look at what I was told at the time, it was just a lot of money. But GM was kind of lucky. A 
sliver of the company's sprawling property is technically in Flint Township, not the city of Flint. And Flint Township still gets its water from Detroit. GM discovered it could hook up through the township and get its water from Detroit again. So eight months after the switch, GM left Flint's water system. The company was one of Flint's largest water customers. GM pulling out meant the city lost almost half a million dollars a year. And then a month later, nine months after the switch, people living in Flint got a notice in the mail. The notice said Flint was in violation of the Federal Safe Drinking Water Act. Turns out the city dumped too much chlorine in the water, so much that a byproduct of the disinfectant called trihalomethane was above levels set by the federal government. Over time, exposure to trihalomethane can increase the risk of cancer and other health problems. No surprise, angry people showed up in droves at City Hall. But their concerns were pretty much blown off. The city water is safe to drink. My family and I drink it and and use it uh, every day. That's Mayor Dane Walling. He's former Mayor Dane Walling now, thanks to the water crisis. But this time, people were bypassing City Hall, which wasn't offering much help or even acknowledging the problem. So in January, in single-digit cold, people like Mike Sargent took matters into their own hands. They started giving out cases of free bottled water. Sargent spent the morning loading them into people's cars and trucks. You know, I, I knew that our intention would only be a Band-Aid on all that needed help. Hey, you have a good day. By this time, Flint had a new emergency manager. Jerry Ambrose insisted the water was safe. In fact, Ambrose seemed more concerned about bad press than bad water. Doesn't have to travel very far out of Flint to see that this news has been picked up, uh, not just in the Flint area, uh, but throughout the state and uh, even beyond that. There's, there's clearly a perception issue. But Flint residents didn't think it was a perception issue. At City Hall, residents like Claire McClinton demanded the city reverse course. We survived bacteria. We've had boil water advisories as a result. They put too much chloride in the water. We got trihalomethanes. And it's just been one disaster after another. I mean, what do we have to do to get them to turn the water back on to Detroit? But Ambrose was blunt. The city was broke. Couldn't afford to reconnect to Detroit, even if it wanted to. You're listening to Not Safe to Drink, a documentary from Michigan Radio. I'm Lindsay Smith. Through that spring of 2015 and into the summer, folks hauled their milk jugs full of discolored water to meetings. They brought their hand-lettered signs down to City Hall. Good Samaritans handed out bottled water. But the Flint water crisis hadn't been coined as a phrase yet. Out-of-town reporters weren't flocking to cover the rallies or tell the story. But then, in late June, something shifted. In her little yellow house on the south side of Flint, Leanne Walters opened her laptop. And there, in her email was a draft report from an EPA guy who had come to her house to check out her tap water. She immediately forwarded the email to a reporter she had met in the spring. Oh boy, you know, talking about the the hazardous waste levels of of lead was, uh, you know, certainly attention-grabbing. Kurt Guyette is an investigative reporter who works for the ACLU of Michigan. 
The report showed lead levels at Leanne Walter's house were way, way worse than she thought. We're talking simply jaw-dropping numbers. Let me put it this way. If you have a glass of water and it has a lead level of 5,000 parts per billion, the EPA considers it hazardous waste. One sample from the Walters house had more than 13,000 parts per billion. That's almost three times as much. And that's not even the scary part. The scary part is this report said there was reason to believe that the Walters could be a canary in the coal mine. It's not this individual home. It's not coming from inside the home. It's coming from outside the home. We know now from emails and other records that for months, the EPA had been warning state officials that something was wrong with Flint's water. But you won't hear from the guy who works for the EPA who wrote this report, who was doing most of the warning. The EPA won't make him available. But Guyette managed to get him on the phone before writing a blog post about the report. He wanted the information to get out, and he was willing to uh, go outside of uh, normal EPA protocol in order to make sure that happened. This leaked report, this was the very first time any official had publicly said Flint's water may not be safe to drink. But back then, the federal EPA report wasn't finalized. So besides this one conversation Guyette was lucky to have scored with the author, the EPA wasn't talking to any reporters about it. So back in July, I turned to Brad Werfel, the spokesman for Michigan's Department of Environmental Quality. Check, check, one, two. Check, check, one, two. You got it. I'm going to say things to you. All right. Okay. Werfel agreed to talk uh, to me about the EPA report. The first thing I asked him was, what responsibility does the state have in making sure lead isn't getting into people's drinking water? I mean, is that even your responsibility? Let me start here. Uh, Anyone who is concerned about lead in the drinking water in Flint can, can relax. Uh, there, there is no broad problem right now that we've seen with lead in the drinking water in Flint. It turns out there was a broad problem. And it turns out the DEQ is exactly the agency responsible. And we know now the same week I talked to Brad Werfel was the same week some of the people he works with at the DEQ realized that Flint's latest lead tests weren't looking too good. The tests were bad enough that at that point, they should have informed the public about the broad lead risk. But that's not what happened. Instead, state and city officials kept telling residents there was no lead problem in Flint's water, that this EPA report was wrong. It was written by a, quote, rogue employee. About a month after the EPA's report was plastered all over the media, Leanne Walters went with a group of Flint residents and concerned pastors to Lansing. They were able to arrange a meeting with top officials at Michigan's Department of Environmental Quality. Walters had hoped that, after she leaked the federal report, state officials would take their concerns more seriously. But they blew us off like we didn't know what we were talking about. State officials told Walters and others that EPA employee who gave her the report had been handled. But Walters had met someone who did take her seriously. Later that afternoon, after that unproductive meeting with state regulators, she made a phone call that helped change the course of Flint's water crisis. Hello, Mark speaking. 
Mark Edwards is an yeah. environmental engineer and a professor at Virginia Tech. He studied corrosion of old water systems for decades. Edwards has probably tested 30,000 homes for lead in his career. He's never seen anyone with higher lead levels than Leanne Walter's home in Flint. So on that warm Tuesday afternoon in August, when Walters called Edwards to tell him how awful that meeting with the state went, Edwards remembers hanging up the phone and physically shaking with anger. I mean, this is an imminent and substantial endangerment to children. And for me, sitting 15 hours away, I, I can't believe how people could just sit there and let other, other children drink that water. I mean, how could you do that? Edwards couldn't sleep. He decided he had to drop everything. He got four grad students together, a bunch of lead test kits. Two days later, they loaded up in Edwards' 13-year-old white soccer mom minivan and drove 15 hours straight directly to Flint. By mid-August, the small research lab, the fourth floor of Durham Hall at Virginia Tech, was a beehive of activity. Cardboard FedEx boxes full of lead testing kits from Flint started arriving for analysis. Leanne Walters and a group of Flint residents helped hand out the testing kits all over Flint. In all, graduate students like Ana Ragmanta processed more than 800 samples. We spent so many weekends here so that we could get the data and start giving out the results to people because... Every hour, every day we delayed that thing, more and more people were still drinking the Flint water. The test showed lead levels in Flint were pretty bad. Bad enough that one afternoon in mid-September, Edwards went back to Flint. On the lawn, in front of Flint City Hall, Edwards addressed several reporters and about two dozen Flint residents. Point by point, he explained why there's a dangerous lead problem in Flint. This problem has arisen because of what's known as a corrosion issue. So most cities, uh, like Detroit, have treatments for their water where they put chemicals in the water to stop corrosion. And you can't see it, but there's an iron nail um, in this bottle here. He held up two small bottles of water, one with pretty clear water. You can see a small nail in the top. The water in the other bottle is orange. This is Flint's water. It's basically eating the nail. The iron nail is disintegrating into the water. Edwards says Flint's corrosive water is doing the same thing to distribution pipes all over the city. Flint is the only city in America that I'm aware of who does not have a corrosion control plan in place to stop this kind of problem. So this water uh, looks bad, it smells bad, it tastes bad, and this is part of what people have been complaining about. But, Edwards warned the crowd, the real danger isn't the iron you can see in the tap water. The real danger is odorless, tasteless lead. It's also leaching from the distribution system. Edwards said people in Flint should protect themselves against the lead exposure immediately. He told them to stop drinking the tap water, buy a certified lead filter or bottled water if they can afford it. You've been listening to part two of the Michigan Radio documentary, Not Safe to Drink. In part three, the state nurse told me, oh, you know, I understand your son has lead poisoning, but it's not as bad as it could be. He's just going to lose a few IQ points. 
State officials continue to downplay the lead risk to Flint's children, even after experts find dangerously high levels of lead in the water. And we'll meet a Flint pediatrician who risked her reputation to change the city's course. That's on the third and final installment of Not Safe to Drink, a special documentary from Michigan Radio. You're listening to Not Safe to Drink, a special documentary from Michigan Radio about how Flint's water crisis unfolded. I'm Lindsay Smith. Back in September, research scientists from Virginia Tech came to Flint to break some bad news. Their tests showed high levels of lead in people's tap water. Lead is especially harmful for young children. It can lead to things like a lower IQ and attention problems. And once that lead gets into a kid's blood, the damage is done. You can't reverse it. So the researchers from Virginia Tech warned people in Flint to stop drinking the tap water. Meanwhile, city and state officials continued to say Flint's water is safe. I don't know how they're getting the results they're getting. Here's Michigan's Department of Environmental Quality spokesman Brad Werfel. Uh, I know that it doesn't match with any of the other surveillance in the area. And I, I think that it, it at the end, I, I don't necessarily think it's as important as the broader issue of reminding people that if you have lead service lines to your home or you've got lead pipes in your home, it's worth being concerned about. The impression the state repeatedly gave is that the risk to Flint residents was no different than it was when Flint got water from Detroit. It was no different in Flint than any other Michigan city with lead service lines. But there were big differences between the water Flint got from Detroit and the water it pumped from the Flint River. The most important one was corrosion control treatment. This is what coats the inside of old lead pipes and plumbing, preventing water from corroding lead and other heavy metals from the pipes and getting into people's tap water. Think of it like Pepto-Bismol, but for pipes. When Flint bought water from Detroit, it was treated to control corrosion. But when Flint started pumping water from the river, it didn't use any corrosion control treatment. That's because officials at Michigan's Department of Environmental Quality told the city it didn't need to. Not right away, anyway. MDEQ said Flint needed a year or so to test the water first to figure out the right treatment. The DEQ's Brad Werfel put it this way. It's just a matter of getting it right. You know, if I handed you a bag of chocolate chips and a sack of flour and said make cookies, we'd still need a recipe, right? And they need to get the results from that testing to understand how much of what to put in the water uh, to address the water chemistry from the river, which is different from the water chemistry in Lake Huron. But all the other water experts I talked to said this wait-and-see approach was a really bad idea. Without treatment, the protective coating on the inside of the pipes that built up over the years from Detroit's water, likely disappeared. And that's what caused lead levels to spike in many homes in Flint. When Leanne Walters discovered Flint wasn't treating for corrosion control last March, she told the Federal Environmental Protection Agency. The EPA asked the state about it right away. And at first, the DEQ said Flint was using corrosion control. But when the EPA asked what kind of treatment it was using, the state confessed. Flint wasn't doing anything. What happened in Flint is a very rare occurrence. That's Peter Gravatt. 
He directs the EPA's Office of Groundwater and Drinking Water. He says it's really unusual for a city to go from buying treated water, like it got from Detroit, to treating its own. It's fair to say state regulators had not dealt with this situation in recent memory. Because of the lead problems in Flint, Gravatt has sent a clarifying memo to all states saying, basically, you cannot not have corrosion control treatment. It's too important to skip, even for a little while. We have about 10 million lead service lines in the ground, so we know for certain that there are many communities that have building materials in their water distribution systems that could present a hazard to the population. More than 99% of the 52,000 drinking water systems across the country have been able to meet the requirements of the lead and copper rule and protect the public. 10 million lead service lines. Water service line is the pipe that takes water from the water main in front of your house to your house. Before the 1960s, many water service lines were made of lead. Many of the 10 million lead service lines that remain in the country are in older cities, cities like Flint. Flint should have tested for lead at homes with lead service lines. People who live in these homes have the highest risk of lead exposure from their water. If a city's water treatment isn't working, that's where it would show up first. But here's the thing. Flint doesn't even know where its lead service lines are. At Flint's public utility building, on the side of a hallway, there are six standard filing cabinets. On top of the cabinets is a stack of tattered, yellowing maps. Well, the the map you're actually looking at is our newer set. Our older set is actually underneath it. Robert Binsick is Flint's water distribution supervisor. Inside the filing cabinets are two incomplete sets of records. Some are like a time capsule, handwritten index cards going back a century. These index cards, these yellow maps, these are Flint's records. It's not ideal, uh, but it is what we have. And there's a lot of things about the water system I know that are just in my personal memory. We, we do with what we have, and we try to do the best we can, and, and this is what we have. So when Flint tested for lead in its water last summer, it wasn't testing the homes it was supposed to, mainly because Flint doesn't know exactly where those homes are, because its records of lead service lines live on 100-year-old index cards that aren't organized in any kind of helpful way. Still, Flint officials relied on those records to pick which homes to test for lead. They also put out a shout-out on Twitter. One employee canvassed his neighborhood, going door-to-door looking for water samples. It got a little frantic the last weekend in June, because by early July, Flint had to submit a report to the state. This report was supposed to measure how much lead was getting into the water in neighborhoods with lead service lines. The numbers from each of those homes would get put through a math formula to arrive at one very important number. That number would determine whether Flint's tap water was above or below a limit for lead set by the federal government. What happened next kind of defies logic. The state picked out two of Flint's samples that tested highest for lead, and it invalidated them. 
One of the samples the state tossed was from Leanne Walter's house. It was by far the highest lead sample in Flint's report. I was told by the EPA that they couldn't throw my samples out, that my samples had to be used. Officials with the DEQ say they invalidated the sample for a technical reason. And of all reasons, it was that she had a water filter. The bottom line is, by throwing these two high samples out, Flint's number shifted. It went from being just above the federal limit to just below the limit. It meant city and state officials could continue saying the water was safe. It meant they wouldn't have to mount a major campaign to tell residents how to protect themselves and their families from lead in their water. I talked to Jim Saigo about this. He's the guy the state put in charge of the DEQ's water division after the department came under fire for its handling of Flint. I asked him, even if it does turn out it was technically okay to throw out Leanne Walter's sample, it just looks bad, right? Well, you know, there's not a lot I can say, but a lot of things look bad to people until they understand what the process and the procedures are. I think our biggest point is we were following, you know, the requirements of the regulations, basically, in doing that. So for a while here, even after outside experts are raising the alarm about Flint's lead problem, the state kept sticking to its message that the water there was safe. That is, until a Flint pediatrician decided to put her reputation on the line for Flint's kids. Hurley Medical Center is committed to the health and well-being of our patients. Hurley Medical Center sits less than a mile from the Flint River. If you go inside the main entrance, head up a couple flights of stairs, through a maze of hallways, and up a few floors on the elevators, you'll find Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha's office. There's a large bookshelf full of pediatric reference books, photos of her two little girls, and from her days in medical school at Michigan State University. She says a longtime friend of hers had heard about Flint's water problems and suggested she take a look at lead levels in the city's children. Hannah Atisha heads Hurley's pediatric residency program, so she was in a good spot to check out the numbers. So we first ran the data just on our clinic patients, so the Hurley Children's Clinic. Right away, she noticed a significant increase in the percentage of kids with elevated blood lead levels when she compared samples from before the city switched its water source and after. But our sample size was too small, so I couldn't go screaming from the rooftops. Um, this is such a politically messy issue. We are a city chartered hospital. We get you know money from the state. It's a uh, mayoral election season. So it is a mess. Hannah Atisha got her hands on more data, pretty much all the data from the area, which goes to Hurley to get processed. We ran those stats in hours and saw the same findings. Her findings said after Flint switched to the river for its drinking water, the percentage of kids with elevated lead levels nearly doubled. That's for children age 5 and younger who live inside the city limits. She rechecked her work over and over again. Before she went public, she wanted to, no, she needed to be sure about this. She gathered other area doctors together, shared the information, and on a Thursday in late September, they held a press conference to reveal their findings. And this group, not politicians, not activists, but doctors, 
called on the city to switch from the Flint River back to Detroit's water to protect public health. It was, forgive the pun here, a watershed moment. I was shocked to see so many people there. I think every mayoral candidate was at this press conference. Uh, the city administrator was there. Um, Howard Croft, the public works, every, everybody was at this press conference. But state officials quickly tried to discredit Hannah Atisha. Over the next few days, state officials tried to convince reporters that Hannah Atisha's numbers were wrong. Pretty quickly, she started getting calls and emails from reporters asking her to respond to numbers the state was releasing that tried to debunk her work. And I just started becoming almost physically ill. Hannah Atisha was sure she had it right, but she's basically getting a very public takedown from very powerful state agencies. And so how can you not second-guess yourself? How can you not feel like, oh, my God, what did I do? She went back over the numbers. The numbers didn't lie. It took several days, but eventually state officials did come around. They rechecked their own numbers and found Hannah Atisha was right. But real quick, back to that press conference at Hurley Hospital. In addition to the politicians and public officials, there was another person in that conference room. Leanne Walters stood at the back of the room behind the TV cameras, watching Dr. Hannah Atisha go through her slideshow. The slideshow featured a hypothetical Flint child. Hannah Atisha detailed the struggles this child might face after being exposed to high levels of lead. This child would be at greater risk of needing special education, at greater risk of behavioral problems and ADHD, at greater risk of getting swept up into the criminal justice system. Leanne Walters listened to all of these things about this hypothetical child, and she shed a few tears for a very real kid, her four-year-old son, Gavin. The state nurse told me, oh, you know, I understand your son has lead poisoning, but it's not as bad as it could be. He's just going to lose a few IQ points. No, that's my child. How would you feel if someone told you that about your child? How is that fair to him? It took a couple of weeks, but eventually, officials in Lansing hold their own press conference. Michigan Governor Rick Snyder and other top state officials conceded. In the interest of public health in Flint, the city would stop using the Flint River for drinking water. After saying for months that Flint couldn't afford to switch back to Detroit's water system, the state, the city, and the Mott Foundation managed to scrounge together $12 million. And on October 16th, with much, much less fanfare, some Flint official pushed that tiny black button at the water plant to reopen the valve to Detroit water. No more Flint River water. It was a victory for the people in Flint who'd been fighting for this for more than a year now. But it was a victory that came too late for Leanne Walters' family. It came too late for Gavin. In October, the Walters moved from Flint to Virginia. Walters' husband, Dennis, went from the Navy Reserves back to active duty. The Navy transferred them to Norfolk. Part of the reason why my husband went, a big, huge part of the reason why my husband went back active duty was to get us out of Flint because of what it was doing and the health concerns and the fact that we weren't being listened to 
with our child being poisoned. Her four-year-old twin boys are already doing better in Virginia. No more weird skin rashes. Gavin is putting back on some of the weight he lost. In Virginia, even bath time has returned to normal. All right, give the In Flint, the lead levels in Walter's water were so high she was told not to let her kids even touch it. So once a week, she'd spend 45 minutes warming up jugs of bottled water on the stove to bathe her twin boys, Gavin and Garrett. Now, she just turns on the faucet, makes sure the temperature is right, plugs the tub, throws in a few plastic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, like most any parent in America. Do that tickle here on Yeah. Do it again. Do it again. Again. One more time. After both boys get a good scrubbing, Walters goes to pull the plug. I'm going to drain the water out now, guys. That's Gavin, you hear, putting up some protest. He doesn't want to get out yet. But his mom is still so wary about the safety of tap water. She doesn't let the boy spend any more time in the tub than they need to. After everything this mom went through in Flint, you better believe she's getting her water tested for lead in her new home, some 700 miles away. You can hear the boys are bummed, but Walters doesn't back down. Look at me. I promise you, once all the tests come back, and says it's okay, we will take a really, really, really long bath, okay? All right, come on, step up, please. So while bath time is back to normal in Virginia, the Walters still have a bottled water stash in the garage. She still uses bottled water to make everything from their morning coffee to the instant mashed potatoes at dinner. I will not drink it till it's tested. I will never, ever trust a water source again just because I'm told to. The struggle Leanne Walters went through as a mom, it's put her in places she never imagined. Countless late nights worrying, confrontations with government officials, pediatricians, people who just didn't listen, refused to believe there was anything wrong. The experience has changed Walters and her family, too. It's not just the lead poisoning of one of her babies. Over the next few years, if Gavin has health problems or trouble at school, she'll be wondering, is this a symptom of his lead poisoning? Even now, even though Walters is no longer in Flint, she's still fighting. She's pushing for accountability from the state. She's testified in front of national panels, pestered U.S. congressmen, insisting the regulations on lead in water get tightened up in the hopes that no other mom has to go through this nightmare again. You've been listening to Not Safe to Drink, a documentary from Michigan Radio. The show was written and produced by me, Lindsay Smith, with help, lots of help, from Sarah Hewlett. She also edited the show with help from Jennifer Guerra. Additional reporting by Steve Carmody, Mark Brush, Rebecca Williams, and other members of the Michigan Radio News team. Music designed by Zach Rosen. Vince Duffy is the news director at Michigan Radio. 